Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's top fuel disruptor Josh Hart and our own Tony Pedregon. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're looking back and looking forward to the countdown. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and uh, we're going to have a fun show today. We are uh, going to be hearing from not only Tony Pedregon to kind of look forward and look back, if you will, over the last four races and kind of look forward over the next four to finish up our season. We're also going to be hearing from Josh Hart, a guy who has uh, <laughs> completely disrupted and upended the world of top fuel competition over the last several weeks since his uh, triumphant return to competition and uh, it's going to be fun to talk to him. Obviously, we got a bunch of stuff to, to to chat with with both of these guys. And you know, I really would like to use this show as kind of a a moment in time, a pause, if you will, because we do not have a race this weekend for the first time in a month. And um, not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean people aren't still going racing or testing or doing other things. But there is no camping world action this weekend. And then we're going to go down to Dallas for the uh, the culmination of the Stampede of Speed, which is going on down there at the Texas Motorplex, really all week long. An incredible uh, drag racing festival, if you will, that is uh, that is going to start very uh, very early next week and run all the way to the conclusion of of the national event, which uh, will feature four qualifying sessions instead of three. We'll feature a $15,000 bonus for low ET on Friday night in both Funny Car and Top Fuel. We'll feature uh, a larger purse than we have seen really, I think, at any race in two years on the Camping World Series Tour, and that's all due to the hard work of the people at the Texas Motorplex. They uh, worked very, very diligently and, and have created this event uh, really in kind of conjunction with the the uh, state of Texas and their tourism board. They received a grant, and that grant is being put to good use for uh, what can only be described as one of the most incredible drag racing immersion experiences ever. You can literally drive to the Texas Motorplex on Monday and stay there the entire week and see cars going down the racetrack in various forms and fashions, from pro-modified cars to the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series to um, a professional test session that's going to be happening on Wednesday it's 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 wild but we'll spend more time talking about that uh, on next week's show I think it's important now that we look at what went down in St. Louis what changed in St. Louis what didn't change in St. Louis um, what did change let's talk about pro stock a little bit here Erica Enders uh, you know people maybe me too uh, a lot of people were looking at Greg Anderson going okay this guy's just going to put the hammer down and that's going to be the end of it uh, he could have left St. Louis with a massive points lead instead he has a a shrunken points lead erica uh tightened it up on him and that makes it good for all of us not necessarily good for greg but it makes it good for all of us certainly keeps things interesting uh erica winning st louis for the third year straight which is just an 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 amazing thing when you think about it and secondly kind of maybe a harbinger of things to come obviously when she wins st louis good things tend to happen to her for the rest of the year we look at nitro funny car we can see that again it is still a packed race it is still very crazy and tight and and wacky and how jumbled up the points are there 
but Matt Hagan has uh, established himself as the uh, the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, at this point. His driving was on point. He did not have any issues uh, on Sunday at St. Louis, and Dickie Venables was tuning that car like a boss. So we have that team has certainly all their parts and pieces together in the right manner. And then in top fuel, Mike Salinas and, and Steve Torrance in the final. Mike Salinas drove probably a single best race I've ever seen him drive in terms of a Sunday performance. Uh, he was the number one qualifier uh, coming out of Friday night. I mean, there was a lot of things happening in the right direction for Mike Salinas. Unfortunately for him in the final round, the car got inside a little bit, turned the tire, and and that allowed Steve Torrance to go around him and reestablish himself as the points leader in top fuel. Now, it isn't by much. It's less than two rounds for Steve, but... I think it is kind of a big testament to that team's ability um, and their their strength, of course, their doggedness that they did not get down on themselves. They didn't press. They weren't chasing something. They simply put their heads down and went to work. And the ultimate result of that is them now being the points leader again. And while it is a small number, a small margin, we have to look at what that team does and how they do it. If you give them any sort of a leash, which they've gotten on now, it's going to be very tough to reel them back in, even if you're only talking about a differential of a couple rounds. So uh, that was really kind of the highline stories coming out of St. Louis outside of the fact that the place was packed for three days. I mean, just great crowds, great weather, great performances, and uh, I, I think a real setup to what we're going to see when we go to Dallas and Bristol and Vegas and Pomona. In terms of competition, uh, we had 20, I think we had, we had 20 top fuel cars there which was awesome. Uh, we had on the sheet, I believe, 17 funny cars, but Jack Wyatt and I think there was a second car that uh, didn't make it to the race. So we ended up uh, a little short there. But the honest answer was, as every weekend has been, just incredibly tight competition that is uh, that is unreal. And the qualifying in, in top fuel was was fantastic. I mean, any time that we get the 20 cars that we always want to see, not I'm not saying specific cars we want to see, but we that car count that we want to see, it makes things way more interesting, as you all know. Whenever you have that bumping going on at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the, the qualifying order, especially when you have some teams that uh, should be running better than they are and they're kind of scuffling along those first couple of sessions, it uh, it makes for a compelling show for us to make. Makes for a compelling show for people to watch at home. It makes for a compelling storyline for fans of the sport. So, um, not any shadow of a doubt that St. Louis was a highly successful weekend. Aaron Stanfield locking up the factory stock showdown championship. Another big moment for him. His second one of those in a row. Uh, unfortunately for him on the pro stock side of things, he is he is fading a bit in terms of his position in the points, but we'll get into all that when uh, we hop on the line here with Tony Pedregon in just a moment. Rather than just keep running off at the mouth, I think I'm just going to move right into uh, to our first guest here. And our first guest is a guy who I work with on a week-in and week-out basis. Talk to him pretty much every day. He is the analyst on our NHRA on Fox broadcast, Mr. Tony Pedregon. How you doing, Tony? Good. Good morning, Brian. So, man, coming off of uh, this four-race stretch, it's it's kind of like a little bit of a breather week we have here with no race we're backing ourselves into. But I really want to start by talking about St. Louis and and. You know, who looked good and who looked bad? Obviously, we know the winners looked good, but is there anybody else in the crowd, especially if we start talking about, say, Funny Car first, who looked good to you outside of the obvious Matt Hagen? Well, um, you know, if you look at if you look at Cruz and you look at Tasca, you know, both of their cars are just consistent. You know, they weren't the quickest. They really didn't have their best race. Um yet they got to the semifinals and Tasky got to the final and um you know Cruz put up a couple of uh he put up a good fight 
Yeah. You know, he, he ran 300 seconds slower than Hagen. Um, you know, and, and force, I mean, John's, he's just hanging in there, you know, and, and uh, I, I think that when you look at, at the big picture and, you know, Hagen, he's starting to open up a little bit of a gap, you know, that's, that's not good for everyone else, but yeah, he can be beat. You know, I think he has the best running car. He's the most consistent car. Uh, he's always, in my opinion, a top three driver. I think the numbers will back that up. Um, so the question is, is like, I mean, somebody's going to have to step up. You know, I think Caps has the car to do it. And I think Caps just got caught. You know, when you look at and and Brian, you and I talked about this, you know, in our production meetings, you know, we always try to, you know, size up and frame up who's, you know, who we think is going to win. And we, I mean, we've got eight drivers to choose from. Yeah. Um, and they're all pretty good. And they've all been in these championship hunts with the exception of Tasca and Alexis. But, you know, there's, it's still within their reach. But, you know, I think, um, I think Hagen's the favorite, but Cruz is still going to be there. And I think so is Force. I think Caps had a bad race. He's not going to make the same mistake twice. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be, I think he's going to be in the top three. You know, is it going to be Tasca? Is it going to be Cruz? It's, it's like it's going to be interesting to see which one of those cars is going to start. I mean, I, the, the consistency's there. I think I think they can run with Hagen. It's just a matter of, you know, who's going to dig in and, and make the difference in the seat. You know, which driver is going to have the least amount of hole shots um, and, and who's, who's going to be able to hole shot a couple of drivers on the way. I think that's what it's going to come down to. How close do you think you need to be coming out of Dallas, like on the backside of Dallas? How close do you think you need to be to actually still be in contention? Because we know, oh, mathematically, you can still do this, that. But, like, let's let's talk reality here. Because right now, Caps is in second. He's 59 back. Force is 72 back in third. And Cruz is 99 back in fourth. And then we go to J.R. Todd, who's 115 back in the fifth in the fifth position. It would seem to me, if and I, I realize Pomona's points and a half, but it would seem to me if you're if you're more than 100 out coming out of Dallas, it, it, it it's not your year. I would agree with that, Brian. And I, you know, I think what it's going to come down to is, and, and I think when these these teams and these drivers start to do the math and and figure out where they want to be coming out of Dallas, and we go to Bristol, um, you know, that's the range. It's going to be a hundred points because um, when you look forward, fast forward to Vegas, and, and if you're within if you're within a round or two. I mean, it really a, a two rounds. I yeah. mean, that's forty points, but it's points and a half. So, so you have a, a realistic chance. And be, anything beyond that, now, now it's a long shot. You know, now you're throwing a hail mary, and not one or two or three drivers. When we're talking funny car, but like they're not, they're not all going to cooperate. Yeah, and, and ultimately that's the thing, right? You, at, at some point, instead of actually being able to win the thing yourself, you're now going to rely on other people making mistakes or other people kind of punching out of their weight class to help you, and that typically doesn't work in anybody's favor. Right, yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at, at the last few championships and how they've been determined, you know, you, you if you're within a round, that's, you're within striking range because that can potentially happen, whoever you're, you're competing with. But, you know, what we've seen in this trend in funny car, and I think it's, it's going to be arguably the most exciting points battle that goes to the last race. I think there's going to be four, maybe even five drivers that have a realistic chance. Uh, and that's going to be tough on some of them because, 
Uh, only one's going to come out on top. You know, I don't think second for a driver like Caps, uh, you know, for Cruz, um, you know, Robert, if Robert can get back in the game, uh, I, second is, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's meaningless, but it's going to be a big letdown. I've been there. I've done that. I've been on the top. I've been on the bottom, the receiving end uh, of, of it going down to the last race. And, uh, and it's going to be an emotional thing for, for a lot of these funny car drivers. Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting too, is the fact that it's not like it's been a runaway. So the fact that it has been so close, the person who does come up short, it's going to be probably even a, a more bitter pill to swallow because of the fact like, oh, well, you know, the guy was 400 points ahead of us anyway, so what does it matter? But it's like, no, we could have had this. You know, we could have actually pulled this off. We were in it the entire freaking season, and now there's nothing to show for it. Yeah, yeah, and what happens, and, you know, it's human nature. You know, Task is going to go back and, and, and assess things, and, you know, they won a couple of races, and it's like they were exactly where they wanted to be at one time. Um, you know, caps may go back and look at, you know, one or two rounds and, and, you know, that's when I say it's human nature, it's really not about what, I mean, they can go back to the first or second race of the year for crying out loud, um, you know, qualifying, but I'm just saying that because that's the way we think, um, you know, I've, I've been there, I've gone back and it's funny that you, you just, when it comes to these, you know, I think the good drivers and their memory, just, they can forget, you know, what they did two months ago or what they may have said, but they can sure as hell remember losing a race about 10 years ago in the second <laughs> right, round right. at three o'clock, you know, and so it's funny how that works, but that's how much it means to a lot of these guys. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, one more point I want to touch on a funny car before we, before we move on to top fuel is of course, you know, we talk about, we talk about what things mean to people and, and the frustrations of coming up short and, and everything else that goes along with it. Robert Hyde and John Force having to race each other in the first round at, at St. Louis was a disaster for that team for for a multitude of different reasons. And we we talked about it on the show. There's plenty of chatter about it on the internet, but it was just a very odd, a very odd turn of events there at the starting line. The double step, which actually didn't result in a red light, resulted in a 13 green, and then Robert idling the car down. I mean, I'm not trying to get in his head. I'm not trying to get in John's head, but you know, we know from being on the inside of this thing that. Uh, there was not a lot of happiness in that camp on Sunday morning. Even when we tried to interview those guys, there was not a lot of happiness. Well, I, I agree with you. And it, it's a really a tough situation for them. You know, ideally, even if they race in the semifinals, you know, that's, that's doable. Oh yeah. You know, somebody goes, somebody advances. Um, but you know, Brian, this, this always comes down to that, you know, awful conversation that we have to have about multi-car team race, uh, multi-car teams. And, and force isn't the only one, you know, there's oh, a couple not. you look at the Torrances, yeah. you look at the Colettas. So they're going to be subject to the same scrutiny. But if, if we're going to go back to the most recent one, and that was, that was that double step. And, and to your point, it wasn't a red light. And, 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 and typically when a driver will double step, you know, you, you start to hit the throttle, you catch yourself, and in that split second, you you realize that you are committed, so you go wide open throttle. But and I'm not saying, I mean, hey, drivers make mistakes. And we, I, and yeah, I've we see it all said, the time. We do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in particular, Brian, the good ones. Uh, and you look at why does a driver like Doug Coletta? Why does he double step in qualifying for crying out loud? Why? Because this guy is good. This guy doesn't take it easy in qualifying, um, and and he understands the 
how the human body works and what the adrenaline and the juices do on Sunday. So if you're if you're in a range of 50 and 60 or 70 reaction times in qualifying, that's going to turn into 30s and 40s. You know, not for all of them, but but for the good ones. And so I get it. I mean, drivers make mistakes, and I'm not saying that Robert um, didn't make a mistake. I mean, I, I do find it odd, and I'm sure that mentally he wasn't in the right place. And and that's the beginning of the end for any driver. Um, but I'm not going to not talk about it. No, and I know that's yeah, and that's and that's something you, you know. Yeah, we we both you're said not going to not talk. <laughs> we right. both said it at the same time. Well, we we both said it to each other in the booth at the same time. It's like, well, here come the floodgates of the hate mail, but we have to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I can respect, uh, you know, I don't respect any name calling. I mean, I, I've, I've had uh, plenty of that. And that doesn't really bother me because, you know, I understand the position of the fan. And, you know, I, I feel like telling them, you know, for starters, who's who's more qualified to talk, to speak on this subject, me or them? So I, I understand the position of the fan, the passion, but it's bias when you come at us and say, or come at me and say, we can never say anything good about John Force Racing. Well, you're not listening to the whole show because right. I see a lot of good things because the reality is is they're good, they're proven, um, they're, they're reliable, they're all of these things. But, you, you know, when you think about it and break this whole thing down, there is a rule in the rule book. And this happened, and, and I think it was in 2007. Because this team racing isn't limited to NHRA. No, it's all this over the place. This happens in yeah. F1. It yeah. happens in NASCAR. And, and it's always talked about. It always makes the headlines. Okay? So, but if you think about this sport and the, the fact that it's it's in a rule book, but the burden of proof is always on NHRA. How do they prove it? So, there's a written rule and they have to prove it. I don't know if that can be done. So, if you really think, and, and my position is, I don't care so much about being called a jerk or that I'm the worst, uh, you know, analyst ever, because because I'm my job is to is to let the viewer know what's going on. Yeah. And now I cannot tell you exactly why Robert did what he did, but I could sure as hell provide a few scenarios. Yes. Okay. Because unlike the common fan. I've been there. I've done it. I've been on both sides of the fence. And coincidentally, I've worked for that team for a lot of years. So I'm pretty sure. And, and I, I I offered this challenge to some of those haters. Um, and I thought it was I thought it was a fair proposition. I offered to debate and to have this discussion or conversation on NHRA.com. I would do it. I would do I would do it anytime, anywhere with anyone in the pits, anyone on any team, any driver. And I'm not saying I'm always 100% right. I'm just saying that I would have that conversation. Yeah. Um, because you cannot bring bias to the table. I'm just looking at the numbers and and I'm just, you know, making these calls based on my experience. So, um, you know, it's it's done. It's water under the bridge. And I think that, that you and I, Brian, and, and certain people in the sport are – are going to to call out some of these teams that you know that make it look suspect. And Brian, you and I know, and anyone will tell you, it can be done. Hey, if you're going to throw a race, you can do it in a manner that nobody knows. Oh, sure. You, you or I are going to say, well, both these drivers left, and one car smoked the tires. You know that happens. Okay. So I, I guess what am I saying? There's a right way to throw a race. Hell yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if you're going to do it, do a good job. And if you're going to do a lousy job and you're going to raise suspicion, then somebody might say something about it. Yeah. That's all. That's a fact. And, uh, you know, let's move into top fuel discussion here is, you know, the Steve Torrance, Brittany Forrest back and forth. Um, it, this is really kind of becoming the story. Now, Mike Salinas did himself some favors. And, and I want to talk about Mike's performance on Sunday because um, it, it was, at least to my knowledge or recollection, the best driven race up until the final that I probably ever seen him put on <laughs> as far as a Sunday performance goes. I mean, the guy was the guy was there and, and you know, the final round was a whole different scenario, but. But Salinas really did his job on Sunday. Yeah, Brian, and you know I think we gave him credit for that, and I think he deserves credit. Um, you know, Mike Salinas has taken his lumps along the way competitively, and he's really he's had a pretty good car all year. But you know, and this just goes to show you how important the driver is. It's not just about leaving the starting line. The driver from this the second that they start the car. You, you have to do all of these things so consistently, and I think most people don't realize that. So let's say the average start time from, from startup to, to staging is a minute and a half. Well, within that minute and a half, the driver has to keep the same amount of, of clutch pressure um, and the same amount of, of throttle rolling in. I mean, all these cars are equipped with throttle stops. But... Um, more specifically, once they do the burnout, so the length of the burnout has has to be the same. Backing up, the amount of times you release the clutch to back up, whether it's you know five or ten. If it's if it's five, if you're pushing, pulling, uh, releasing the clutch five times during one round and eight times the next, well, you've just built a little bit more temperature in the clutch. And when you build temperature in the clutch, it heats up, the discs expand. The, the air gap, all these things change and, and they may only amount to subtle differences, but uh, all I'm saying is what Mike Salinas did in terms of being consistent and, and getting the car down the track uh, was very impressive and, and leaving the starting line, um, you know, is, is really what we're talking about because you can go to the first round when he raced Kyle Wurzel, they both ran 384 and it was pretty amazing that Salinas only ran 244 and Kyle was trying to catch him running about 300 right yeah yeah and so that was the start of his his good day and of course Trip Tatum you know he had an 042 in the second round now Trip probably drew him off um you know which happens because Trip Tatum left so yeah, he early was, yeah that. he was very yeah he was like one I think he was 140 early and uh and yeah exactly yeah, so so that pulled Mike off, right? Because you're you're then reacting not necessarily to to you, the tree counting down, but you hear that noise and it's like I'm going. Um, but a 38 light in the semifinals, and and from what I'm hearing in the in the final, he had an 011. But um, you know, of course, he knocked the top light out. The car was rolling. Look at that run very closely. You can see uh, the clutch, or rather, the car it never really stopped rolling. Uh, but still, I mean, he had to have the presence of mind to, to understand that something wasn't right. He knew the clutch wasn't right. Clutch yeah. was dragging. Um, and, and, you know, of course, the driver error or what appeared to be driver error was he allowed the car to drift to the inside of the lane. And it, it seemed like it pulled the tires off and, you know, maybe revved up. The auto shut off, you know, through the chutes out. But, uh, but getting to the final round, I mean, he, he would have beat Steve. Yeah. Right? Yep. 
I mean, yeah, all things being equal, because Steve was a day and a half late, you know, and all, all things being equal, if the, if, uh, if the thing had stayed stuck or centered, then he he would have got there because he had more than a tenth of a second advantage off the off the starting line. Uh, for Brittany Force, you know, it wasn't a bad weekend, but it certainly wasn't the one she wanted. And, and now it's two races in a row where Josh Hart, who's actually going to be the, the second guest on this show, has stopped her far earlier than she wanted to be stopped. I mean, at some point, does this kind of climb into her head? Like, I don't want to see that green and white car over there again. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's it's necessarily just Josh Hart. Um, you know, I think Brittany has had. You know, she's had, it's been a little bit of a challenge for her to, you know, to get off the line with, with most of the drivers that you see in the second round. You're going to see Antron Brown. You're going to see Steve. You're going to see Brittany, or rather, uh, Billy. Um, you know, Leah now, she's, you know, she's kind of back in the, you know, back in the mix to some degree. Um, but if you if you if you pull alongside Doug Coletta or Sean Langdon or Justin Ashley, you know, what, what can you do? I mean, these drivers operate in, in, you know, at this certain frequency. And, you know, of course, the car plays a role, you know, whether it's the fuel system or the clutch or the way they're running the car. But, you know, if I'm a tuner and I've got a driver that, that operates in the 70 to 80 reaction time range versus somebody that's going to plunk down 30s and 40s, <laughs> you either better have a pretty quick car or you might want to think about doing something with the fuel system. You know, I know some of these drivers have driver coaches and hey, whatever works, whatever works. But that, you know, when we break down the numbers, Brian, that is going to be tough to deal with because it's not just Steve. Now you've got some other drivers and their cars are running pretty good. Um, I think that little flash that we saw of Doug Coletta, he ran into the wrong guy in the first round and they still ran a 72. They played it safe, but yeah. you know, if they could start qualifying better, now you're going to see this guy in the second round, maybe in the semifinals. So, you know, I, I don't um, – I think the best is yet to come in top fuel. We've been so focused on pro stock and, you know, so so absorbed in funny car because it's, you know, it's been the most exciting. But now top fuel, I think it's, I think it's going to get better. Yeah, obviously, the, you know, Spencer Massey showing up here for a couple of races and, and making his presence felt again and what Josh is doing. And, you know, this, this really for the first time almost ever – you have a handful of really stout cars, including we could go to Trip Tatum. We could even talk about Scott Palmer's cars, a, a consistent 70s car. Um, and these cars have no inkling of trying to win a championship. They just want to win a race. And and it's not like they're just cans of corn. So to me, that's made it all that much more interesting when you know some of these good cars, especially Hart, uh, have showed up and, and disrupted things. And last topic I want to get on to, of course, is Pro Stock. And for the third year in a row, Erica wins St. Louis – and for whatever reason, that St. Louis race has always kind of been, at least for the last several years, has been not the turning point, but almost the rallying point for this team. And I, I gotta feel, I gotta feel like Greg Anderson is not is not uh, should not be comfortable. I don't think that he is comfortable. But this was not what he needed to have happen in St. Louis. No, I I uh, I agree. I think that he was sleeping better a couple of races ago. Um, but you know, Brian, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the team, the team racing and Greg Anderson, he's got money in the bank. Okay. I, how many times has he raced Kyle or a car within, within that team, Dallas Glenn, how many times has he raced them and raced them for crying out loud? Yeah. Right. And beat them on a whole shot or they beat him on a whole shot. 
Okay, how many times have the Torrances done that? Okay, now I realize Steve raised Billy not long ago. Billy was a little late. Okay, and we we talked about it, but you know it's funny we don't get that hate mail when we talk about <laughs> it with them. You're right, right? And and uh, so so really, I mean, I I know it's it's a uh, I don't really enjoy calling anybody out on that because no. personally I don't like it. I don't I don't really care for the backlash, but uh, I'm going to do my job, and I know you're going to do your job, and and uh, I, I just think it's funny that uh, I respect the the guy because because of that. And if Greg Anderson wins, and and I believe that he's still the favorite, but you know Erica sure is tough, and she's going to be. And it's amazing how she can get through the field when she's not one of the higher qualified cars. Yes, she was fifth, but you know she just manages. She manages to get the job done. But I think Greg again is going to step up to the plate. But then you've got his two teammates. You got Kyle Perez. You got you got Dallas Glenn, and. Um, you know, if we see something on the track, I, I, I'm going to revert back to I haven't seen it this much from this guy. I, all I see is those guys race. Well, listen, if 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 Greg wasn't operating the way he's operating, the guy would the guy would be the runaway championship favorite. The amount of races he's lost, like you said, to his own KB powered cars is astounding. And I think, yeah. you know, it'd be worth it at the end of the season when when we all have a little bit of time on our hands to go back. And this is something I'm going to make a note and do. I'm going to go back and look and see how many rounds Greg lost to KB powered cars versus how many rounds Erica has lost to elite powered cars. And I guarantee you those are two very different numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, Brian, like I said, I realize that teams have made tough business decisions, but they didn't, they didn't make a mockery of the sport in, in the process. You know, we can go back to Schumacher. I remember, and it blew me away when I saw it. I remember, I think it was Beckman and Caps or Hagen. And it's like, I thought, I thought somebody was going to lose intentionally. And I'm thinking, shit, look, sorry. I'm thinking, <laughs> Edit that out. I'm thinking, <laughs> I can't believe that these guys just raced. And how many times have we, in the countdown, yeah. I'm talking about in the playoffs when everything was on the line, and Steve and Billy Torrance have done it, and I know some other teams have done it. And, you know, like I said, if if teams, if someone has to make that tough business decision, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to turn a shoulder, but um, – do what you have to do, but just don't. I mean, you can't you can't justify it or rationalize it by saying I'm doing my job for the sponsors. No, 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 that doesn't work. That's pretty selfish. Yeah. I mean, it has an impact on somebody that's playing by the rules. Yes. So, so anyway, we'll we'll just end it with that. I think that um, it's going to come down. It's going to come down to Greg and Erica, and and I, I just think that Dallas and Kyle. And Aaron Stanfield, those those guys are going to be in the mix. Yeah, those guys will definitely be keeping uh, Erica and Greg on their toes. And, you know, a, a good break here or there for Kyle or Dallas will kind of reinsert them into the conversation. So, hey, man, as always, appreciate the chat going down some roads here and uh, kind of keeping people informed. Going to be uh, good to get ourselves prepared for Dallas. Uh, we get a weekend off here and then go to Dallas. So enjoy your time. You guys going go-kart racing this weekend or what? Yeah, we're going to Newcastle as long as – is my son can produce the grades that he said he was going to produce. And it, it's, it's funny because it, it comes down to the line. But, uh, you know, if they're having a wild Wednesday, we may go down to the track. And, you know, of course, we want to promote the junior street program. Um, 
you know, you mentioned it to me. You talked about it. Yeah. You know, ages 13 to 16, you can go down the quarter mile in any kind of car as long as you have a parent in the passenger seat. I took Desi uh, about a month and a half or so ago. He loved it. He just asked for a, a quicker car. He said, Dad, can you get a can you get a Hemi? Can you get a Dodge, a Challenger, a Charger? So we might do that, but we'll be racing. And uh, I'm glad all the teams and the drivers, I think they need to decompress a little bit. And I, I think we saw some of the drivers make a few mistakes. I think fatigue sets in. Yeah. I think pressure sets in. I think the good drivers are going to use this weekend uh, to prepare themselves. And I think it's going to get a lot better. Tony Pedregon, thank you so much, man. I will see you in Texas. See you soon. Thanks. All right, so after a fun conversation with Tony Pedregon to lead off the show, we now move to our second guest, a guy who has uh, blown into top fuel like a big gust of wind starting at the U.S. Nationals. Josh Hart, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing really well. And um, you're finally back home in Florida, I believe, been able to take a deep breath because you have been you've been living the RNL Carriers trucker lifestyle, man. You've been you've been pounding the pavement out there. Actually, uh, th- that's not true at all. RNL um, makes sure that their drivers come home overnight. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, yeah, man. You guys have been. Uh, you've been really. It's it's to me. It's really cool to see the commitment that you have for the sponsor. And I'm going to get into the racing stuff for in, in a moment. But you know, the reality is, you you went out there like day in and day out doing displays, being at the different uh, depots and hubs that they have, and it looks like it went over very well. Yeah, if you if you look at my last month, it was a it was a blur. You you travel from one venue to the other venue on Monday. You do the uh, meet and greet on Tuesday. You park your rig at NHRA's event on Wednesday. Tech in on Thursday. Race Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then hope to make it to the next depot on that Monday. It's like the old school drag racer lifestyle, except that instead of match races, you're doing meet and greets. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, man, I- I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you feel or if you're understanding how fun this period is for you in terms of this is a very unique spot for you in your career. Obviously, you're set up to do this for the long haul. You're set up to to build an operation to succeed for a lot longer than just one season. But this moment you're experiencing right now where you have a competitive car that can win races and you have the pressure of living up to your own expectations on Sundays, but no championship pressure is going to be very unique for you. Yeah, I think Tony Pedregon said it best. You know, he said in my first Gainesville uh, final, he said, I don't think that Josh Hart understands the pressure he should be under. Um, I understand all the situations, but the bottom line is we're, we're here to have fun and, and win a race. So um, I'm just trying to have fun. And and you are, uh, clearly. And we, and we see it in the race car. We see it in the performance of the team. We certainly see it in the in the wind lights that have been coming on with uh, with more frequency than your competitors would have liked to have seen. Um, and I guess your level of comfort from the U.S. Nationals to now, like obviously you, you, you step back, you had to organize things, get yourselves ready, get your operations set up to how you wanted it, and then committing to the to the rest of the season. Uh, how much different is Josh Hart even just four weeks on than he was at the U.S. Nationals? Uh, the, the experience has been priceless. To be able to go um, back-to-back four races and just get the seat time was priceless. Uh, but you know, I think that I still get I still get the butterflies and stuff for the first pass of every event. You see all these people looking at you, and you guys have been packing the stands. So, um, but for some reason, as soon as Ron starts the car, all that stuff goes away for me. And then, you know, second pass, third pass, it just gets easier as it goes. How much of it? 
especially the last the last month with everybody kind of being out on the road and and the crew guys being in such close proximity how much of this was a I don't want to say a litmus test, but how much of this was a validation of these are the right guys, these are the right people? And I know Ron has has chosen these guys because he has experience and stuff with them, and that's all well and good. But when you're packed in with people for almost a solid month, do you find out really quick whether or not you have a good team or not? <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, nobody complained. Everybody works the tail off, and um, it, it just – validated exactly like what you said it, they they know the game they want to win and, and I think we all know what we have here as far as potential goes um, so now it's just getting it over the hump and and getting it done and you know getting it done is is one of those things that we look out and especially the last couple of races we've seen Spencer Massey show up in Pat Dakin's car and run well we've seen Trip Tatum show up in his own car and run very well Scott Palmer has popped out and that's a pretty good car you're out there as well I'm not sure there's been a more interesting period late season in Top Fuel in a lot of years because of these these people that are that are coming up and showing up to these events that have again cannot win a championship but they sure as hell can win rounds and win races. As a fan, it's very fun. As a competitor, maybe it's a little bit more intense, I don't know. I'm still on the fan side, believe it or not. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm a very literal person. I say exactly what I mean, and I, I still get starstruck. I, I said it to Alex, and I've said it to other people. It's like, wow, I can't believe I'm out here playing with these people. You know, it's it's just a super cool experience. So you're exactly right. It's awesome from a fan uh, viewpoint to see everybody back in the mix. What was something that over this series of back to back? To back-to-back races that surprised you as being harder than you thought it would be, or surprised you at being easier than you thought it would be. Um, so easier would be, um, I guess, putting putting faith into the program. Like um, I attended my first owners meeting. Yes, um, and I thought it was pretty cool that they were even willing to listen to us the way that they did in that meeting. Um, every person that was in that room was a successful businessman. Or women, and uh, I was very—I uh, I gained a lot of respect for NHRA just because they were—they were willing to listen to our feedback. Um, and as far as harder goes, uh, I, I struggle still with um, the personalities on the track. I, I don't see a need for that kind of stuff, and you know, we're all—we're all there to have fun and win races, but. Um, I, I, I'm still a fan too, and I, I struggle with the fact that maybe some of the people that I cheered for in the past are not the people I thought they were. Yeah, and that's an adjustment. That's an adjustment that even I found myself having to make professionally just a couple of years ago. Which it's it's a different thing. You're, and it's not necessarily. It wasn't necessarily for me perception versus reality. It was reality versus reality it's like and wait a second like a year ago i was having these conversations with a with a person doing a different job and now i'm doing this job and, and i'm getting a totally different side of this person that i never knew, even knew existed and it's not the good side of them so eventually i kind of figured it out in my own head okay this is how this is going to work and and I'm, I'm wondering i'm wondering for you is it is that something that you feel like you'll be able to get around or is that something you feel like that's going to leave always be a little bit of a motivational point for you. I'm, I'm interested in that. Like when you look at that situation that makes you uncomfortable, how do you move past that or do you? Um, I, I don't, I don't usually um, move past it. I use it for motivation, you know, and uh, now I just want to beat them more. So 
Um, I, I think what, what really upset me more than anything else was the fact that I, I really did look up to those people. You know, I mean, when you get the unedited behind the scenes version, you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting scenario. And in, in some ways, it's it's like you know you you go to Disney World and you're a kid and you see the guy slipping his Mickey Mouse head on his costume and you're like wait a second there's a guy in yeah. it's like wait a second yeah I mean you know I I had somebody tell me when I very first got started that um, I was never going to be a top fuel racer so I dedicated my top fuel license to that person and uh, then you know when you get a dose of reality the way that I did uh, at, at Zmax I just kind of step back and evaluate myself I'm, I'm a real person and uh i was told that i didn't have the personality to be a top fuel driver so i said to them just recently i said well what happened to the humble honest guy that is real yeah and that's me so yeah i am here you are and and succeeding uh delightfully for yourself and for your fans and in, in in all respects your business you were able to uh, obviously, you probably lived on your phone a lot, lived on email a lot, lived remotely uh, on business operations a lot. But how much of a relief, how much of a learning experience was it for you to to have to be that remote guy? And I know you're super hands on on a day to day basis down there. Yeah, it was tough, but I, I have a lot of good key people in place. Um, my sales manager for the new showroom was awesome. Our service department has a service director and a service manager. They're awesome. So, you know, they really do a great job. Um, I, I wish I could go back to the mindless activities when I was the one actually installing superchargers. But uh, those days are long gone now. So now I get a report every week that says, hey, we did really good or, or the latter. But um, they, they did a great job. And that's good. And and. You know, when we talk about your race team, it really does extend into the business. And how many or, or how much are the employees of the company, whether it's management or, like you said, the, the guy swinging wrenches on the on the floor of the service department, how much are they kind of invested in this? Are they paying attention to what you're doing or is it just, hey, the boss is gone, I'm going to do my job or whatever? So this is how much they're invested in it. When we have a disagreement internally at Bernie's, uh, we have a Hot Wheels drag strip and they have to beat me on the line. <laughs> Oh, that's a great way to settle things. And then internally, uh, you know, we have 30 employees uh, on the service side. Uh, They have this online video game for drag racing, and and they're constantly trying to treat each other or or make a statement. So we have a group chat that is nonstop. It literally goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's just funny to watch them battle it back and forth. So they love NHRA just as much as I do. No, that's fantastic, man. That's uh, that's kind of the icing on the cake, I guess. A, a, a company that's in the aftermarket and high performance and classic car industry, that that that, that passion industry that you're in with Bernie's, and obviously this this passion industry we're all in with drag racing is, uh, it's a really cool fit. It kind of adds a whole different element to to your story as well, which I think is great. So when we look at the upcoming races, Dallas, Bristol, Vegas, Pomona. Uh, are we going to see RNL in the car? Technet, like who's going to be who? Whose colors will you be wearing through the end of the year? So we're going to be um, Arnold carriers in Dallas, Arnold carriers in Vegas, and Pomona, um, and then we've got a little something special planned for Bristol. So um, it's uh, it's Arnold carriers the rest of the way. Now that's fantastic, man! It's, and what a 
again, what a great partnership that you've uh, been able to, to kind of forge with them and certainly one that you're you're hustling to, to keep the, the right end of. And, and that's really always kind of fun to see. Going down to the Motorplex next weekend, um, are you going down early to be part of any of the Stampede of Speed activities? I'm not sure because there's that professional test session Wednesday, and obviously we have uh, four qualifying sessions at this race. We have a low ET bonus on Friday night of 15000 bucks. So is there any early attendance for you guys or not? Yeah, we're going to go down. I'm going to try to attend the, uh, the first autograph session I've ever done, which I think is awesome. weird and cool at the same time. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Uh, but um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going to be uh, too far away with the RNL carriers meet and greet also. Well, that's great, and I think this is going to be a um, it's going to be an interesting race. I mean, the four qualifying sessions really are something that makes I think all of us really happy, and and the work that the Motorplex has put in to to work with the state, the tourism board to create all these activities and. Listen, man, 15k for a Friday night low ET is no uh, nothing to shake a stick at shake a stick at either. No, I think it's awesome what they're trying to do. I think they're they're really uh, embracing the racers, and uh, when you put your money where your mouth is, the way that they are, they're going to get a great turnout. It's going to be a fabulous show. It really will be. And Josh, I want to thank you for uh, taking some time with us again. It's uh, it's incredibly fun to have you and your team in this in this mix of cars coming out to the end of the year and you get to roll in there with a completely different outlook than everybody else the goal's the same for everybody win the race on sunday afternoon but uh you guys get to do it with a little bit of swagger you get to do it with a little bit of a grin on your face because frankly you're stealing the candy from the other babies and that's that's a pretty fun deal <laughs> I, I hope I can take it with a smile on my face. <laughs> Josh Hart, driver of the RNL Carriers, top fuel dragster, and a disruptive force at this late season run that he is on right now. Thanks for taking the time, Josh. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And that, as they say, is that. Another episode of the NHRA Insider in the books. Thanks to Tony Pedragon. Thanks to Josh Hart for the conversation. And, you know, Josh uh, continues to be a very intriguing and interesting guy self-motivated entrepreneurial businessman who has made great success of himself has a roadmap uh, that he is going to follow for success in drag racing and certainly the guy can drive the wheels off a top fuel dragster much to the chagrin of many people he has lined up next to over the last several weeks and will continue to hopefully over the next ensuing many years thanks for listening to this episode of the nhra insider it is a weekend off of nhra camping world drag racing season action to be followed by the stampede of speed at the texas motorplex go to nhra.com to learn more And also, just as a reminder, we're going to have uh, great qualifying coverage, live qualifying coverage on Friday night at the Texas Motorplex. You can go to NHRA.com to get all that, including a Sunday qualifying show and then our elimination show on Sunday afternoon down there in Ennis. We'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider setting up the last four countdown races of the year. Only three countdown races left for our Pro Stock and Pro Stock motorcycle competitors. The plot is quickly thickening. See you next week.